there, friends. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite species of animals and we review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research and try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. Particularly this week, I have so much information. I got a good solid four pages of notes for you. <laughs> Oof. Well, that's good. And I should say that this week, our theme is inspired by Animal Crossing New Horizons. The Nintendo Switch video game, which recently got a big update, added a ton of content to the game and has kind of revitalized it. So we are visiting a couple of animals that feature in the Animal Crossing New Horizons game. That being said, if you're not familiar with the Animal Crossing's games, don't worry. (laughs) It's not required for, for understanding of this episode. We're just talking about the animals. Yeah. But we'll mention Animal Crossing. Fun fact. Yeah. Anytime I see the acronym for Animal Crossing. ACNH. Yes. Mm -hmm. Every time, the first thing I think it is, is Assassin's Creed New Horizons. (laughs) (laughs) What a crossover that would be. I don't know why. Assassin's Creed New Horizons. (laughs) There's some potential there, I'm sure. Yep. Very different vibes. Yeah. Totally different games. I bet you could at least do like the cool like hood as like a wearable item for your character (laughs) in Animal Crossing. But of course, this will be enjoyable with no knowledge whatsoever of the Animal Crossing games. Yep. Uh, It's my turn to go first this week. Awesome. Which is great because this is going to be a me heavy episode (laughs) because I have so much to talk about. I'm really excited to talk about this animal. All right, let's hear it. What we got? This is the ocean sunfish. Mm, big fish. Big, big, beautiful boy. <laughs> Scientific name is Mola Mola, which Love I think it. is so catchy and it nice. It is. Mola Mola. So this species was submitted by at Old Loam on Twitter. It's a cool handle, I think. And I'm getting my information from the Monterey Bay Aquarium, Animal Diversity Web, National Geographic, and Oceansunfish.org. What? Which is a website that is made and maintained by marine biologist Dr. Tierney Tees. Okay. Who is a fantastic wealth of information on ocean sunfish. So that's where I'm getting my facts from. The ocean sunfish, I should say, you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Hmm. Um, You can catch them off of the shores of your island or other islands that you may visit. And you can donate it to your museum and have it displayed in your aquarium there. We have it on our island. Yeah, We have one in our museum on our island where it swims around in the big tank with the whale shark and stuff like that oh yeah i I forgot to check what time of year they're available yeah so for those unfamiliar um that's one of the things with this animal crossing not assassin's creed game (laughs) where you know the the stuff you catch kind of can be season dependent right and then also that can be broken down by the hemisphere you are playing oh yeah i forgot about that right because like different animals will be available during different seasons depending on whether you're in the northern or the southern hemisphere Oh, okay so it's still season based but based on your local season which is different based on hemisphere okay got it which makes sense because that's real life right the seasons are flipped around on planet earth (laughs) which i think is a cool element of like real world immersion oh yeah 
But so, yeah, I did want to incorporate what Blathers will say about the ocean sunfish when you donate one. Okay. So I phoned a friend. Awesome. (laughs) I brought in our friend Sophia Osborne, who is one of the hosts of the podcast Beyond Blathers, Mm -hmm. which I've told you about before. And I've mentioned on this podcast before, actually, the other host of Beyond Blathers, um, Olivia DeBersier has been on the show. Um, she mm-hmm. did our Christmas episode last year mm-hmm. where she joined us to talk about reindeer, Aww. which was a delight. Beyond Blathers is a podcast that is specifically about the bugs, fish, and fossils you can find on your island in Animal Crossings, and they go super deep in depth into all those critters. So if you like Animal Crossing, absolutely for sure, go check out Beyond Blathers. So I asked Sophia if she could share with us what Blathers says when you donate an ocean sunfish to the museum. If you bring an ocean sunfish to Blathers, he'll say... The ocean sunfish is a large relative of the blowfish with an unusual shape, like a fish head with a tail. They are a fairly relaxed species, often content to ride where the currents take them. This is fortunate, as otherwise, the sight of a large head coming towards you might be alarming. And that's what Blathers has to say when you donate an ocean sunfish. A couple things in there that I'll mention during my review of the facts about the sunfish. Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to get into it. If you are not at all familiar with the ocean sunfish, they can be up to 10 feet Mm. or three meters long or tall. So long ways, like Uh nose to butt or tall ways from the tip of their dorsal fin to the tip of their what's called their anal fin on the bottom. Wow. Yeah. So they can be as tall as they are long, which is very unusual for a fish. <laughs> They're just ocean squares. <laughs> it's more of like a diamond, yeah, I guess, because it's kind of tilted on a side. Um, and they can weigh up to 5,000 pounds Big. or 2,200 kilograms for our metric listeners. Mm-hmm. So marine sunfish in the Molidae family are the largest bony fish, which is a term that describes fish which have skeletons made out of bone as opposed to cartilage. Right. So it basically just specifically excludes sharks and rays Mm -hmm. while still describing fish. The largest specimen ever recorded was originally identified as Mola Mola, but it was later corrected. Turns out it wasn't Mola Mola. In 2018, they went back to the specimen, looked at it again, found out it wasn't Mola Mola. It was a fish called Mola Alexandrini. Closely related, like a cousin of Mola Mola, but not quite Mola Mola. When you say go back to the specimen... Mm-hmm. Was this, they were just looking at a picture extra close, or is this like a preserved? I think it was a preserved specimen that they went back and looked at. That's a big jar. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like a skeleton. I, I I don't know what condition the specimen was kept in. All I know is that they went back later and were like, oh, it's actually this other type of mola. Okay. Yeah. But that being said, they're all huge. They're all massive. Doesn't make it any smaller. <laughs> <laughs> And these are, they're so big because they are pelagic fish. This means that they're found out in the open waters of temperate and tropical oceans all over the world. These are big boys. They need a lot of space. So you're not really going to find them close to the shore or anything like that. Well, sometimes like during certain times of year, they'll come closer to the shore. But for the most part, you're going to find them way out in the open sea. 
They're in the taxonomic family Molidae, which they share with four other species of mola. Um, so there's five total species of marine sunfish, which I specify because there are freshwater fish called sunfish, completely unrelated. Oh, okay. They don't have okay. anything to do with these sunfish. It's, okay. it's a coincidence that they're called that. Okay. So I will probably say marine sunfish. Ocean sunfish is the common name for the specific species, but like marine sunfish, meaning like not the little bitty freshwater guys. They're cute. The, the little freshwater sunfish, they're nice fish, but they're not what we're talking about today. Okay. Marine sunfish belong to a larger order called tetraodontiformes. It's a big word. But their closest cousins in this order are pufferfish and porcupine fish. Huh. Blather's called them blowfish. I don't know if I've ever heard them called a blowfish. I've heard that before. You have? Yeah. I don't think I have. It makes sense because they blow up, right? I, well, I've never thought about it in terms of does that apply to pufferfish and or porcupine fish, right? I just know that that's what's in their family. Yeah. And like... At a glance, you would think, oh, that's weird. They don't look anything like each other. But you can really see the similarity between them in the baby sunfish. Oh. Baby sunfish look a lot like pufferfish. They're round and spiky. Huh. Yeah. And then they kind of grow out of it as they get older. Huh. But also, they both have a very similar dental situation where both of them have their teeth that are kind of fused into these two plates that make kind of like a beak. Have you yeah. ever looked really closely at a puffer fish's face? You know how it has these two kind of tooth plates that are curved into like a beak? Yeah, because they eat like crabs and things, right? Sure, yeah. So Mola Mola has kind of the beak. Okay. Yeah, it's not as obvious because theirs is kind of like up inside their mouth a little bit more. But when you really get a good look at their mouth, you can be like, okay, yeah, you can see the similarity with puffer fish. Huh. That's kind of where the similarities kind of end. Sure. So I just thought that was neat. We, we, you know about pufferfish, probably, you know? Yeah, so if you've yeah. never heard of sunfish, you've it's probably the, at least heard of pufferfish. The famous one on TikTok. So if you have never seen an ocean sunfish before, it looks totally unlike any other type of fish, right? This right. is an extremely identifiable fish. Mm -hmm. um, most fish have a tail fin, which is called a caudal fin, which comes in lots of different shapes. But the most common shape is sort of this like two-lobed fin, vertically aligned, right? So it's got an upper lobe and a lower lobe. The sunfish, however, does not have a caudal fin at all. Mm. There's just no fin back there. None. It, the fish just kind of ends. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the body just ends with this round, blunt edge. It's called a clavis. And it uses the clavis to steer like a rudder, as opposed to most other fish, which use their tail for propulsion. Right. right? They'll wag their tail back and forth, and that pushes them through the water. Sunfish does not do that. They really just use it for steering, and that's kind of it. It's like a panoramic shot gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or like they moved the camera too fast. <laughs> that is what it looks like. Yeah, it's a very, you, you know one when you see it, that's for sure. So another identifying trait of it is that its dorsal and anal fins that I mentioned earlier are just very, very large. Mm -hmm. And they stick straight up and down, like perpendicular to the rest of the fish. Most other fish have kind of a streamlined, like hydrodynamic sort of form to them where every Everything is kind of leaned back, like tilted towards the back of the animal. Right. Not so with the sunfish. <laughs> They're getting creative with angles on their fins. They just stick straight up and down. Yeah. 
um, which gives it a very, very unique look. And then meanwhile, they're pectoral fins, which is the name for the fins that are maybe you might think of them as the fish's arms. Right. Uh, their pectoral fins are like comically small. Oh, no. They're so little. They're the <laughs> teeniest little pectoral fins. The, of course, they're not like small, small, but in proportion to how big the fish is. Right. Their fins are so little. They look like little T-Rex arms. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just pitiful <laughs> to see them swimming around and they got their tiny little pectoral fins that are just flapping around. A lot of things that set this fish really far apart from other fish in the world. Right. You see one, you know exactly what it is. Of course, there's other types of sunfish other than just mola mola that all share a similar body plan with some variations on it. Like one of them, the clavis has like a big spike that comes out of the back of it. They'll have like a different edge to the clavis. Like mm. the, the mola mola has a scalloped edge. Some of them it's just like blunt. Um, there's a like a little teeny one. There's a small uh, marine sunfish. So like there's some variation between them. Um, but for the most part, that's generally what a sunfish looks like. Okay. Okay. So let's get into the ratings for this guy. <laughs> some people may be a little bit surprised by some of my ratings, but I'll talk about why they may be surprised later. Uh, first up is effectiveness, mm-hmm. which for this podcast is physical adaptations to the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. I give the ocean sunfish a seven out of 10. Impressive. I feel like people maybe expect me to give it a very low score, but I do give it a seven because there are reasons why okay. it is the way that it is. Let me ask you this. What do you think the ocean sunfish eats typically? Like, what do you think its favorite meal would be? You're going to a house party at the ocean <laughs> sunfish's place and you have to bring a dish that's going to really please him. What do you, what do you bring? I don't know. You said they're pelagic, right? Yeah. Shrimp? I don't know. Mm. I mean, they probably wouldn't spit out a shrimp if they got a hold of one, but um, shrimp are probably a little too tough for them. Their diet is made up mostly of jellyfish. Really? Okay. Pretty much just jellyfish. (laughs) And they will eat, you know, other soft-bodied invertebrates, Mm -hmm. um, but it is typically jellyfish that they're after. Makes sense. Yeah. This is a bit surprising that they reach such massive sizes because jellyfish are not at all nutritionally dense <laughs> you know it's it's they're mostly just water right right it's a jellyfish has very little actual there's not a lot of meat <laughs> there right I guess, yeah unless you i guess catch one with a, a fish being eaten oh right like like how sometimes they'll like they'll catch prey and they have it still yeah. digesting in their body yeah no but they they just go for jellyfish um huh. so and they can eat jellyfish without being stung because they have a thick mucus that lines their digestive system good. a lot of animals that eat jellyfish have some sort of defense against those stinging cells right i would hope so poor jellyfish <laughs> like they specifically evolved this defense mechanism to not be eaten and there are so many things that have just been like <laughs> no actually there are so many ways that they figured out how to just absolutely trash jellyfish i mean they're, the, they're some of the lowest hanging fruit of the ocean right <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah i mean obviously there's you know enough of them to sustain these massive massive fish that are Right. on them so the ocean sunfish is not exactly known for zipping around um which blathers mentioned you know that they kind of blathers describes it as going where the current takes them which implies that they just drift um mm-hmm. which is not entirely accurate they do cruise around pretty slowly they're not exactly booking it and for a long time they were thought
thought to be drifters that just floated along currents, Mm -hmm. but they're now better understood as actually active swimmers. They can get pretty decent bursts of speed when they want to, and they can even breach completely out of the water. Really? Yeah, they can yeet themselves a good 10 feet out of the water. That's quite a bit of momentum for that size of fish. Right? Yeah, you gotta (laughs) really be booking it to to get that. They can completely clear out of the water. Wow. I'll, I'll talk about why they do that later, but I just thought that was impressive. They have to get a pretty good burst of speed going to get mm-hmm. that. So, you know, understanding them only as drifters, I think, is inaccurate. Sure. I mean, and it makes sense, too, that they don't really book it that often because, like, when your primary prey is just squirting through the water completely at the mercy of the current, like, you probably don't really have to <laughs> swim that fast very often. It's You can get away with some pretty chill speeds but, most of the time. But breaching probably uses... I don't know, a hundred jellyfish worth of calories. <laughs> you know what? I, I have this in my notes later, but Dr. Tierney Tease that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, she gave this TED talk back in like 2003 that I watched as part of my like notes for this. Mm-hmm. And she cited the stat that it takes 100 jellyfish to yield four calories. No. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh my. Yeah, it's like mostly nothing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine uh, getting getting enough fuel it's to... It's like a single grape. <laughs> it's like a grain of rice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, but so that makes it all the more impressive that they can, you know, sustain themselves on, the, on just jellyfish. But one thing they are really good at is diving. Ocean sunfish have been recorded diving as deep as 884 meters, which is about half a mile down into the water column. Okay. Um, searching for food. They dive down there to look for more jellyfish. Um, they're especially looking for siphonophores, oh, other okay. like soft bodied um, critters they can find down there. I was, I was wondering as to the why, because I guess when I think je- jellyfish, I think of those big schools of them near the surface. Yeah. Kind of yeah. And there are, you know, Medusa floating down lower in the mm. water column too. But so they, they dive down and they do this all the time, like all day long. They're going down and coming back up and going down and coming back up i saw a stat that said up to 40 times a day and to pull this off ocean sunfish do not have swim bladders like most other i wouldn't say most but like many other fish have a swim bladder but they don't but what they do have is a gelatinous layer beneath their skin Mm -hmm. that is positively buoyant so the jelly that makes up this like layer under their skin is less dense than seawater. So that helps lift them and it makes them neutrally buoyant so they can control their depth in the water. Okay. It's not rare for fish to not have a swim bladder. Like sharks don't have swim bladders. Like it's not that big a deal that they don't have one. Um, I just thought this like layer of jelly was an interesting <laughs> thing, like an interesting way to, you know, combat the lack of a swim bladder mm. that they're just encased in jelly. Huh. <laughs> like a gusher. <laughs> <laughs> So I did take off a couple of points. First of all, they are, it's free real estate. (laughs) So because of how, because of how big they are and how typically slow they move, they are Disney World for parasites. Oh boy. Yeah. At least 50 types of parasites are known to live on sunfish. Some of those parasites even have their own parasites that live on them. So you get this like matryoshka nesting doll of parasites, where it's just like parasites all the way down. 
Now, when you say parasites, are you talking about like something like the whale mites we talked about? Yeah, it could be all sorts of stuff. So there's like isopods, yeah. um, copepods, barnacles, okay, stuff like that. Sense. Yeah, animals that will latch on um, to the fish as it swims around. But they do have mutualistic relationships with other types of fish that I'll talk about in the cool. ingenuity section. The only other thing that I took off a point for in their effectiveness is that their their main defenses are really just their size. Mm-hmm. And they have this like kind of thick leathery skin that's really rough and sandpapery. And that kind of helps. So don't think of the sunfish as a DPS. Think of it as a tank. Like it's <laughs> it's really just like moving slow through the water. It's big. It's using kind of that like giraffe tactic of like just being so big that nothing else will bother to really try to prey on it. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. But how does it pan out? Uh, I mean, kind of. They have high uh, what's called fecundity, which means that they make a lot of babies. Oh, okay. And then, you know, the likelihood that one will make it to adulthood where it reaches such a massive size is pretty low, but they're able to produce very many of themselves. And if they do happen to make it to adulthood, fantastic, they'll be 10 feet long. (laughs) (laughs) You know? They are preyed upon by, like, big animals, right? So, like, large sharks will take them down, orcas... A big predator of them is the California sea lion. Okay. Um, California sea lions are very smart and they're very fast. I read an account of California sea lions intentionally removing the fins of sunfish and tossing them around like frisbees. Oh man! Um, yeah, they're they're mean. What do marine mammals got to be like? That? Marine mammals have an attitude <laughs> problem for sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it obviously they're not invincible, but. You know, once they get to a pretty big size, there's not a ton that's going to try to eat them, which is really the the goal, right? You want to not get eaten. Yeah. <laughs> um. So moving on to ingenuity, this by far was the most surprising thing for me. I ended up giving them an eight out of 10. Okay. They do some really clever stuff. Ingenuity, by the way, for us is behavioral adaptations that the animal is employing, things like strategies it might be using to survive make it to the next day, the next generation. (laughs) I give the ocean sunfish an eight out of 10 because it has some really interesting behaviors. Mm. So sunfish know that they have a parasite problem. Like they're aware that they have these parasites on them. They're not just like lumbering around completely, you know, oblivious to this uh, parasite party going on, on their skin. No ignorant bliss. No, not for them. Tragically. Um, You kind of wish that they didn't, you know, like you (laughs) see how many they've got and you're like, Oh, I wish you didn't have to deal with this, but they do have some really interesting ways that they tackle their parasite issue. One of them is breaching. Like I mentioned uh, earlier, that they okay. breach. Um, this is to dislodge any sort of hopalongs that might not be so firmly planted. So they will like jump up into the air and then slam back down into the water to try to break some of those parasites off. They will also swim in kelp forests and park themselves for cleaner fish to sort of pull up and eat away their parasites. Oh, so they'll come visit a little cleaner fish spa. And the cleaner, you've seen like cleaner wrasses and stuff like that, um, will just come right up and pick away their parasites and get get all cleaned up. Do they stop moving into these areas? Yeah, they'll just chill. So this is the kind of fish where it does not need to keep moving 
to get keep water going over its Yeah, bodies. a lot of fish are able to okay. stay still. You might be thinking of ram ventilation that a lot of sharks right. use to breathe. Um, so some, some sharks do need to continue moving perpetually mm. in order to keep the water flowing over their gills. The sunfish is fine to chill. But yeah, they can just chill out and <laughs> let these other little fish pull up and nibble their parasites away. Very good. Something similar to that is the behavior that gives them their name of the sunfish. So they're called the sunfish because something they really like to do is swim up to the surface of the water and lie horizontally flat on their side. Oh. You've seen you've probably seen videos of them doing this. Yes. Much to the amazement of onlookers who are often right. confused as to what they're looking at. <laughs> because it like Blather says it looks like just a fish head with no body, right? So it looks like the head of a much bigger fish that's just floating on the top of the water. But no, it's just a sunfish. So they like to lie on their side close to the surface, which serves a few different purposes. And one of them is to get them close to seagulls. And seagulls will pick the parasites off of their body. What did you think the seagull was going to do? I thought you would set it up a trap scenario where the, and then the sunfish gets the seagull. <laughs> well, that would be great. That would be awesome if they did that. But no, they're not not quite at that level. <laughs> the seagull is not on their menu, which is probably why the seagull keeps coming back, right? If they know the sunfish is going to eat them. Or that or there's just no survivors to go back and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I got my eye on you, sunfish. What a long con that would be. <laughs> well, the sun, the seagull is helping the sunfish, okay. is picking off the, the parasites. But there's another purpose that this basking behavior serves for the sunfish. Okay. So think back to when I was talking about how they dive down into the water. Yeah. When they dive down into the water, the water that they're diving to is really dark and cold. So they get really chilly down there. It's really cold. They come back up to the water and lay in the sun to thermoregulate Mm. so they're actually warming their body up to get them warm enough to go back down for another dive because they wouldn't be able to just stay down there all day long it's it's too cold so they come back up to warm their body up this is really interesting they're like actually basking in the sun which i think is so cool so I found all of that information, like on their feeding behavior and stuff, in an article that is titled Ocean Sunfish Rewarm at the Surface After Deep Excursions to Forage for Siphonophores. You can see why I didn't reveal that title earlier, because it was going to give away a lot of my neat surprises. Yes. Um, and that article was by Itsumi Nakamura, Yusuke Goto, and Katsufumi Sato. And that was in the Journal of Animal Ecology in February of 2015, which also includes accounts of some some very interesting and very clever feeding behaviors that I did want to mention that's not related to like the basking thing. Okay. So images that they took of sunfish feeding. So these were sequential images where they basically took like a bunch of pictures right after each other. So you could, it's not exactly a video, but you can kind of see what's going on. Images of sunfish feeding suggest that they may be specifically only eating the parts of the jellyfish that actually contain nutrients. Mm. So they skip the bell part of the jellyfish, right? The big bulbous part that is mostly just water. They skip that and they go for more the arms and the gonads of the jellyfish because that's where all the actual meat of it is. Yeah. So you can, in the pictures, you'll see the sunfish swim up to a jellyfish that it's going to eat and only eating the part of the jellyfish that matters and leaving the bell behind. I guess that really speaks to the kind of 
nutritional profit margin that it's working with here. It is here. so incredible. <laughs> it's razor thin. <laughs> like the, the calories it's getting from the jellyfish versus the calories it's spending to digest the jellyfish. Right. Like it's so narrow. <laughs> They're so meticulous about what part of the jellyfish they eat. Huh. Yeah, so so that they're not wasting effort by eating more of the jellyfish than they need. Yeah. Which I think is so interesting. But another thing is that sunfish are largely visual predators. They're diurnal, they rely on light, and they rely on seeing their prey to go find it. So it seems weird that they would dive deep into dark water. Mm-hmm. If they need to see their prey, how are they going to hunt visually in the dark? But this makes more sense when you think about what they're hunting, which are siphonophores. Mm -hmm. So siphonophores are relatives of jellyfish. They're not quite jellyfish, but they're like close. Many of those siphonophores that they're hunting are bioluminescent. Oh, okay. They glow in the dark. So they're swimming down into the dark to find prey that glows so that they can see it and hunt it. It's probably easier to see them in the dark than it is closer to the surface, if those kind of things exist in both areas. Yeah, like, so the siphonophores glow as bait for their own prey so that their prey will come to them. But it ends up being just like a homing beacon for the sunfish that's just like, hey, I'm over here. Mm -hmm. So the sunfish is swimming down into the dark where it can see its glowing prey. Right. How cool is that? Pretty cool. That's really neat. So I just thought that was so interesting. It is. And you mentioned the the relationship between siphonophore and jellyfish. I think one thing we talked about that's closer to the siphonophore is the the man of war. Yeah. Yeah. I think the man of war is like, it's not a jellyfish, right? Right. But it is, is it a type of siphonophore? It might be. Yeah, I think it's a type of siphonophore. Yeah. There's lots of different types of siphonophores. They're basically like they're like an animal that's like made up of a colony of others, tiny right. little animals that don't even count as their own individual animal. <laughs> right. It's kind of like coral, mm-hmm. if you think about it. They're like related to coral and anemones and stuff like that. All of that, I just feel like was some very interesting behaviors that the sunfish has developed. And also, you know, they're often kept in captivity. So, like, the Monterey Bay Aquarium has captive um, ocean sunfish that they keep in their kelp forest area. And they are able to, like, train them to Mm. do certain things, you know, certain behaviors to help them care for the sunfish. You know, they'll, like, target train them. So, they'll train the sunfish to swim to a certain target in order to get its food. Um, So, you know, to some extent, they're receptive to training, which I always think is a good indicator of some capacity for, you know, learning and thought in an animal. That's obviously by no means the only way to tell that an animal is capable (laughs) of those things. But I think it's a good indicator. I've never seen ocean sunfish in any captive environment, but I think it would be cool. I was actually going to ask that before, so I'm glad you talked about it. Because I was wondering, is it like the kind of thing where it can't be in captivity? But it sounds like it's just, I have just not visited an aquarium that has them. Yeah, and I think they're challenging to keep in captivity because of their size, Mm. because of how big they get. But also, like, with how slow they are, you know, you're not going to run into that problem of them, you know, like you run into, like, with great white sharks, right? Where, like, they need more space to swim around because they get so much speed going. So, yeah, I mean, sunfish are kept in captivity. I know of the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I don't know off the top of my head of other places that have them, but I'm sure there are other places that have them. Cool. But Monterey Bay Aquarium is like one of the places that you should go if you want to see them. So, yeah, that's ingenuity for the sunfish. Nice. Some surprising stuff there. I was I was reading through these papers and it felt like every like couple of minutes I was like, what? <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> it's 
pretty neat. So yeah, this brings me to our final category for the Mola Mola. This is aesthetics. I I mean, y'all are going to be mad at me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Y'all are going to be really mad at me. I'm really sorry for this, but I got, it's a three out of 10 for me. No, that's not too unexpected. (laughs) It's not the worst we've ever given anything. Sure. And I should say, I understand the charm. I like this animal. This mm. is a, I like it. I, it passes the vibe check completely. It looks unique. I get it. It has a great attitude. <laughs> you know, a very, it, it feels like the capybara almost like of the ocean, you know, it just has that sort of like unbothered chill energy. You know what I mean? I guess. <laughs> I, just, I like their vibe and I like what they're all about. I should even say I have an ocean sunfish sticker on my laptop that I actually got from Beyond Blathers. Um, nice. Olivia de Bercier drew and like illustrated and designed that sticker. I love it to death. There is an ocean sunfish on my laptop. I like this, this animal, but is it nice to look at? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> my affection towards this animal is just purely based on respect for their hustle. Like it is not an admiration of their visual elements and you're also famously not super fond of fish in general yeah i mean fish aren't my favorite things in the world in the sense that i don't enjoy sharing space with them okay um (laughs) i I like them from a distance i don't like to be in the same place as them particularly uh i like them conceptually i guess (laughs) i think that the ocean sunfish to me looks like if you gave a toddler a crayon and you asked them to draw a fish completely from memory and gave them no reference, I think they would draw an ocean sunfish. That's pretty good. It's like there's parts left off. There's parts that are just wrong. It looks like a toddler's invention of a fish. <laughs> Make a fish with geometric shapes only. <laughs> my favorite part, I should say, is the clavis, which is the butt of the ocean sunfish sure. because it has a butt instead of a tail, which I think is great. <laughs> um, it is nice and scalloped, so it has this like sort of decorative pattern along the edge, which I think is pretty. Could you describe, uh, not for me, but other people that don't know, what does scalloped mean? Oh, yeah, for other people, definitely <laughs> not you. Because you definitely for sure know what scallop means. Um, I'm trying to think of how you would describe it. It's kind of like a pattern of U-shapes. Okay. Bumpy. Bumpy, yes. But like consistently bumpy, I guess. Okay. So I think that it comes from, if you look at the edge of the shell of a scallop, Uh, how it has those sort of ridges. Okay. It's sort of like a pattern of uh, sequential like U-shapes. Okay, makes sense. Some of them also have spots, which is kind of pretty, like have a nice sort of like white and brown, like spotted look, which is like, that's kind of pretty. But for the most part, most Mola Mola are just like this white with like a silvery sort of sheen. I've seen pictures of some of them that had looked like just a touch of iridescence. And you know how I feel about iridescence. Yeah. So like, if I'm going to give them a three out of 10, I feel like like, at least two of those points are from <laughs> this potential for iridescence, which is very nice. Um, yeah, it's a goofy mess. It's it's not. I don't think it's a super beautiful animal, but I love it. I love it nonetheless. You know, right. it doesn't have to be beautiful for me to love it. It's I true. feel like it's I can. An, it's an inner beauty. It is an inner beauty thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to wrap things up for the ocean sunfish, their conservation status is vulnerable with decreasing populations, according to the IUCN Red List. Mm-hmm. They are often caught as bycatch in commercial yeah. fishing because they're, they're slow guys. They can't really swim away. Well, they, I mean, they could, but, you know, they're running on a pretty tight energy budget. 
Another thing is that plastic pollution in the ocean can be very dangerous for sunfish. You see this with turtles, too. Because they do mostly eat jellyfish, it is easy to mistake a piece of plastic for a jellyfish, Mm -hmm. which poses an enormous choking hazard. So keeping the oceans clean is especially important for these big, friendly guys. And other critters, obviously, everything is going to benefit from a cleaner ocean. Um, So that's, I guess, my biggest action item for the ocean sunfish is keeping the ocean clean, being good stewards of our ocean, try to cut back on pollution when you can. And the last piece of information that I wanted to end on, I wanted to save this for last because I didn't want this to affect anyone's expectations going in. You may have heard of the ocean sunfish from a famous Facebook post. Oh, this. Okay. (laughs) So there was a Facebook post made by a writer named Scout Burns in 2017. So to summarize, this post was a lengthy rant against the ocean sunfish, Mm -hmm. Um, basically just roasting it to ashes, right? Like this is just like mercilessly dragging the ocean sunfish. Mm -hmm. Sunfish mudslinging. Yes, very, yes. But, you know, framing it as like a poorly adapted animal, which albeit lacking in perspective. So what made this post particularly like compelling and really made it sort of catch fire on social media was this underlying like visceral rage that the writer is really coming into this post with. Mm -hmm. Like this is like, this person is incensed by the existence of the ocean sunfish, which I am a hundred percent sure it was purely facetious and for humorous effect, right? Yeah. It's a joke post. So I will grant that it succeeded at the humorous effect it was going for. It's a really funny post. Yeah. It's hilarious. That being said, largely Mm non-factual. So, I mean, don't rely on funny Facebook posts for your, you know, (laughs) marine biology information. Uh Oh, got to cross out some sources. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my takeaway was that, oh, haha, funny post. But that post was widely shared on social media and it continues to still make the rounds, right? Like every once in a while, it'll pop back up. It'll get shared on an article or something like that. And then, you know, it'll just have this other, this new wave of being shared all over the place. I know it's up there with the platypus doll hall of fame type of social media (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Well, I have much stronger feelings about the platypus doll stuff and I do not know why. I have no idea why I feel so strongly about the platypus doll stuff, but I really do just really get mm, to the core of my being in a way that nothing else does. But so, okay, so briefly after that post blew up, a different person named Zenia Sherman, who was originally referred to as a marine biologist, but later clarified that they are not actually a practicing marine biologist, but they do have a biology degree and have taken courses in marine biology. So this person posted a very thorough response Mm. that tackled a lot of the criticisms of the sunfish that this person, Scout Burns, had made in the original rant, basically just defending their honor as like a perfectly fine functional fish. It's this is a good a good post. It had it cited sources, linked to articles and stuff like that. It was a really good response. So that response was widely shared, but not as much as the original. Obviously, I didn't appreciate that a lot of like BuzzFeed and stuff shared it and was like marine biologist claps back at viral <laughs> Facebook. You know when clap back was like the buzzword of 2017. You remember that sunfish diss track. Yeah, like everything was a clapback for like a year. It was so annoying. Um, 
so that response got, got a good bit of traction, but I also did find a great blog post by Dr. Natasha Phillips. She has a PhD specifically in ocean sunfish ecology. Excellent. Yes. So, so specifically tailored to tackling this <laughs> issue. And she provides a lot of really specific corrections to the sunfish rant. Um, if you're interested in reading that, you can find her blog at sunfishresearch.wordpress.com. I cannot quote any part of the sunfish rant. It is extremely not safe for work. Um, it is profanity laden. Uh, so if you are, you know, on your own time, you're free to seek that out should you so choose. Understand, take the whole thing with a grain of salt. And now, you know, go into it with everything that you've learned during this episode in your mind so you know, like, oh, that's not true. You yeah. know, to wrap things up, to finally bring it home for the ocean sunfish, it looks like a big goofy mess. You know, like it really does. It does not make an incredible first impression when you first lay eyes on this creature, but um, I feel like they effectively prove that looks can be quite deceiving. This yeah. is a just a, ultimately it's a pretty good fish actually. Yeah. Love you ocean sunfish. Uh, I definitely came away from this learning a lot. I hope so. That was the intention. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Of course. Thank you. Let's take a quick break to hear some promos from our friends on the MaxFun Network. Okay. Hi, it's me, Dave Hill, from before, here to tell you about my brand new show on Maximum Fun, the Dave Hill Good Time Hour, which combines my old Maximum Fun show, Dave Hill's podcasting incident, with my old radio show, The damn dave hill show into one new futuristic program from the future if you like delightful conversation with incredible guests technical difficulties and actual phone calls from real life listeners you've just hit a street called easy i'm also joined by my incredible co-host the boy criminal chris gersbeck say hi chris hey dave it's really great that's to enough chris and new jersey chicken rancher des say hi des hey dave the Dave Hill Good Time Hour. Brand new episodes every Friday on Maximum Fun. Plus, the show's not even an hour. It's 90 minutes. Take that, stupid rules. We nailed it. Bria, what's your reader wheelhouse? A woman on a journey, space, post-apocalyptic roads, and magical food. Mallory, what's your reader wheelhouse? Werewolves, haunted houses, weird fiction, and uh, books set in Florida for, for some reason. We're reading glasses, and we want to know what your reader wheelhouse is. We can use it to help you find more books that you love. And avoid books that you don't. So whatever you like to read about, and however you like to read it. We want to help you read better. Reading glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. All right, Christian, let's hear it. What animal do you have for our friends this week? Again, going with the Animal Crossing theme, I will be talking about the Tanuki. This is very exciting. Yes. I love this animal. Scientific name, Nick Terutus viverinus. Interesting name. Yes. I like that. Right off the bat, there is taxonomic controversy. Mm, spill the tea. Let's hear it. Let's hear <laughs> about that all, hot taxonomy beef. <laughs> yeah. So this is a an animal that is also known as the Japanese raccoon dog. Mm-hmm. It is only one of those things, and it is Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> it is that, though. It, it has that. that going for it. Um, so that controversy is that, until very recently, it's usually been considered a subspecies of the common raccoon dog, which can be found outside of Japan. Oh, the common <laughs> raccoon dog. Yeah. 
But, we won't be associating with the common raccoon exactly. dog. Exactly. <laughs> so, according to a 2015 article, the Japanese raccoon dog should be considered a distinct species from the common raccoon dog, which is Nycterudus procyonoides. I heard a word that I recognize in there, procyonid. Yeah. You can talk about procyonids? No. Okay. What does it mean? <laughs> so, procyonids are the family that includes raccoons. Yes. Um, but it also includes things like kawadamundis and well, genets and stuff like that. Okay. Those are procyonids. Okay. I don't have anything to tie into that, unfortunately. That's, that's fine. So, being considered its own species rather than a subspecies. Sure. So, a lot of the information I'm going to talk about is not specific to the Japanese raccoon dog. Okay. Because for the longest time, and still by some, it's considered a subspecies. We ran into this with a dingo as well. Okay. We ran into this sort of taxonomy drama where nobody could quite figure out if it was its own thing or just part of another species. Gotcha. Obviously, neither of us are an authority on what should and should not be considered a species. No, no maybe a little bit. So that article, by the way, was titled Evolutionary and Biogeographical Implications of Variation and Skull Morphology of Raccoon Dogs. Authors Sang Im Kim, Tasuo Oshida, Hong Lee, Misuk Min, and Junpei Kimura. Awesome. So this species was submitted by Miranda Lowry in the Facebook group, as well as Tim Sar and Sarah C via email. Thank you all. Great suggestion. Yes, thank you so much. I told you I was going to do it. <laughs> she did. I, lo- I looked at the article. Mm-hmm. I think I reacted to a couple of things that are a couple <laughs> years old now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll be pulling my information mostly from Animal Diversity Web. Thank you again. <laughs> Love them so much. What would we do without them? Yeah. So talk about what these guys look like. The Where they get their name, raccoon dog, is because if you were to see them, they do indeed look like some sort of cross between a raccoon, a North American raccoon, and a dog. They sure do. Yeah. It's it's almost startling how similar they look to a raccoon. Yes. So the the reason they look like that, they they have the long full fur, but they have more of a brown color with black kind of markings. They mm. they even have the black mask yeah. around their eyes, the, the long pointy nose, you know, the, the slender legs, a short puffy tail. That's striped. They have like the mm-hmm. the start the striped tail just like our raccoons right. do. It's like surprising to me how much they have in common with our raccoons. Right. And in more ways than that too. But not so much taxonomically. Sure. So in terms of size, they are 4 to 10 kilograms, or 9 to 22 pounds, and 50 to 68 centimeters long, or 20 to 27 inches. It's like medium to small size dog. Yeah. It's like our dog size. Yeah. We have a beagle. A little <laughs> She's a beagle. little heavier than that. but That's because she's fat and old. Same, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so as the name suggests, they're endemic to Japan. Uh, this particular kind of the raccoon dog, at least. But the other kind are also native to Siberia, China, Vietnam, and Korea. Okay. So like the whole Eastern Asian right. area. Yeah. And they've also been introduced into parts of Europe. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Fur trade, mostly. Oh, okay. That <laughs> yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah. They prefer forests, forest borders, or dense vegetation. And they're known to find their way into human habitats while scavenging for food. Good for them. Right? We have too much. They can have some. They belong to the taxonomic family Canidae. Other relatives are in there that are dogs, wolves, and foxes. But among all those, they're their own thing, but of those, they're most closely related to foxes. I could see that. Yeah. Could for sure see that. Mm-hmm. Especially in the puffy tail. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen tanukis. We have at the Atlanta Zoo. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
They were sleeping, all curled <laughs> up in a ball. I didn't get any good pictures because you couldn't really see their faces. Yeah, but it was a weird angle. It was. We were like directly above them. Uh-huh. Cute though. So to dive into our first category of effectiveness, I'll be giving an eight out of ten. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good guy. So they got dense and soft fur, which is good for the cold weather that Japan experiences. True, true, true. Gets pretty chilly, especially up in the northern areas. Yeah, and my understanding is they also have quite a bit of snowfall. Yeah, you're going to need to bundle up a little bit. Yep. However, so while they belong to that family of, you know, that is also the same as dogs and wolves and such, they do not bark. But they are vocal and they will whine, whimper, and mew. Mew? Yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So that kind of, that's more likeness to the fox, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. sure. The foxes make some horrifying sounds. That's true. Sounds. Uh, screech is how I guess I would I mean, describe I'm, it. I'm glad that the tanuki <laughs> decided to nix that one. <laughs> they might. They're, <laughs> they're also opportunistic omnivores. Okay. So they'll eat things like insects, small rodents, amphibians, birds, and eggs, but also fruits, vegetables, roots, nuts, berries, the whole gambit. Not, not picky. <laughs> Um, Which I feel like is not like the rest of the canid family, right? Like true. they typically tend to be more like carnivores, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And of course, you know that means they're pretty okay going through human garbage. Go for it, man! <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can climb, uh, so they're known to climb trees to to forage for things. And like I mentioned, they can thrive pretty well in close proximity to humans, uh, which I would count as a positive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the areas affected by human activity are not getting any smaller. Right, and so, you know, Japan is an island nation. There's not a lot of other places you can go. Right. So that wraps up effectiveness. Next is ingenuity. Again, 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's a clever little guy. First thing I want to talk about is parenting. I always find interest in parenting strategies nowadays. <laughs> uh, nowadays. You've really developed that appreciation, huh? Yeah. We have a baby. We do. Uh, so in late pregnancy, the male brings female food. Good for him. Right? <laughs> in late pregnancy. So he kind of like waits a little bit. I'm guessing like, that's when it gets difficult for, you know, the female sure. And then, no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so he's like kind of caring for mom. A little bit, yeah. I like that because a lot of times animal dads will take care of the babies. Mm-hmm. But I like that he's taking care of mom before yeah, the babies get there. Right. That's nice. But also the male is involved in postnatal care. Love that. So the male, the male and female will take turns watching the young while the other hunts. I feel like this is not super uncommon for the dog family or right. the canine family. You know, like you hear about like wolves, right? That wolves will form like a family, a pack m- consisting of a family where the mm-hmm. both of the parents will care for the pups. Yeah. And speaking of which... My next topic I labeled as power couple. <laughs> they're known to live in pairs or family groups. And um, when they're sleeping or okay. resting, this, they... I already love where this is going. I bet this is going to get real cute real fast. <laughs> the way it was worded was they remain in contact while resting and sleeping. You know what that means. Cuddling. They're cuddling. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very cute. Oh, gosh, that's cute. <laughs> oh, And there's already a cute animal. And when you just pile cuddling on top of it so this is also an animal that hibernates and they do hibernate in pairs oh of course (laughs) they do wow that's charming right it's delightful Uh, my next thing is maybe not so cute 
they use latrines for communication. For communication? Yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> Olfactory based. Oh, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. So the, the latrine is a place where a group of tanukis will urinate and defecate. And then that is like an information exchange between family members and strangers. Okay. Gross. <laughs> That's nasty. A little bit. Um, I already talked about their vocal communication. Um, so those sounds that they do make is used for communication to kind of between each other. They also communicate with body posture, particularly with tail position. So they'll, they'll kind of use their tail to, they'll, they'll even do the, the rollover for submissiveness thing. Oh, and, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So they're doing a lot to express themselves. Yes. Yeah. Very similar to how like dogs communicate with each other. It sounds like mm-hmm. see a lot in common with. Yep. Which is really just, oh, I know that probably the reason we find them so cute is because they look so similar to like dogs, which, you know, humans are sort of programmed to find cute. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they don't smell good, though. Gosh, you're right. <laughs> you're so right about that. I couldn't find anything about that, but. Nasty. Um, and then that brings me to my final category of athletics. I'm giving a nine out of 10. Per- it's a perfect creature. So I forgot to mention this, but their ears are short and rounded. They are. I feel like this is a good way that you can tell them apart from a raccoon. Right. And very soft, cute face, all around good. Reminds me a lot visually of a red panda. Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. I could see some sort of similarities between a red panda, Mm -hmm. which also a red panda, you know, looks also like a raccoon. Yeah. All creatures that sort of resemble each other. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting that they so closely resemble an animal that they're not that related to down to the markings, right? Mm -hmm. Down to the fact that they have the black mask, which is like pretty iconic, right? Little trash bandit. Right, yeah. Uh, And the striped tail, too. Which you see the striped tail in other mammals, too, right? You've got like ring-tailed lemurs Mm -hmm. that are not related, but they have the striped tail. Or like quadamundis, right? Like other members of the procyonid family will Mm -hmm. have that like ringed tail. I would imagine that would indicate that it serves some sort of purpose. Maybe it's communication. Because you mentioned that they use their tail as like part of their body language. Yeah. So maybe like I'm thinking of other animals that have that ringed tail, like the ring tail lemur, mm-hmm. you know, is also very, a very social animal. Maybe that's for communicating with its buddies. Maybe. Interesting. So moving into our miscellaneous information. So as a species, the common raccoon dog, uh, least concern. Doing okay. Yeah. Um, however, you know, they are sort of popular in the fur trade. Mm, okay. <laughs> Yeah, there's actually a little bit of controversy around that where a couple of stores in the United States that said they were making things of faux fur mm-hmm. were actually using... Tanuki fur? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't want to dig too deep into that. Yeah, because that seems not even cost effective at that point. Yeah. Now, here's the part. It's not biology based at all. Sure. <laughs> but it's their folklore background that I find interesting. Yes, I definitely want to hear about their folklore yes. background. So, in Japan... They have a long history of being involved in their folklore and, um, you know, legends and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of old Japanese stories, you know, tanukis are tricksters mm-hmm. and will play <laughs> mostly, you know, harmless pranks on humans and passersby and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they're also known to have powers of uh, transformation. Sure. So they can, Shape-shifting. Yeah, so. exactly. So they, they're presented of having these abilities to shapeshift themselves and others and objects and stuff as part of this mischievous kind of goal, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. One of the common themes, though, is that... That transformation involves a leaf. 
okay. <laughs> it's all coming together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll, they'll use that leaf as part of the, the power to transform things. Sure. It's the item component of the right. spell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which leads me into my next thing here is about their media appearances. So yes. first and foremost, Animal Crossing. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So in Animal Crossing, we have Tom Nook, who is kind of like the, what would you describe Tom Nook in this latest game as? Just the, I guess. The, the per- landlord. Yeah, basically. <laughs> now, that's his English name, Tom mm-hmm. Nook. Um, his Japanese name is Tanukichi. There you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Nook even kind of is made to sort of sound yeah. like Tanuki. Mm-hmm. So the Animal Crossing games have been around for a while, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about this one, but at least in previous ones, the translation of Tanuki mm-hmm. was just translated into raccoon. I think this was a localization. Thing. Yes, which has happened a lot outside of this game. With any, mm-hmm. any Japanese media that, that shows Tanuki, there's an unfortunate mistaken translation into english that they would just translate it to uh, raccoon right i don't know if it's 100 percent a translation thing or just a localization overstep right where you see this in other like japanese media where people would be like uh the americans won't know what this is change it to something else you know <laughs> yeah. like the infamous like brock's jelly donuts oh um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you see this happen a lot where people will be like uh, i don't think that this reference will land with american audiences mm-hmm. so they'll just change it to something that they think american audiences would be more familiar with right so that's how you get tom nook being called a raccoon yes now, to, to call us back to the leaf thing, one of the symbols in Animal Crossing is a leaf. Yeah. That's kind of his company symbol. Yeah. So you'll notice we, when he or his, I think, sons that run the shop, whenever they sell you something, it turns into a leaf. Yeah. And when you have <laughs> like, when there's like an item that you drop on the ground, right. the symbol it takes is a leaf. Yeah. So that's a callback to those kind of folklore tales. That's so cute. Right. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. And I wouldn't have known that not being familiar with the cultural context of Tanuki in yeah in Japan. So the and the cultural thing with Tanuki has kind of gotten to the same level as uh, with some businesses. You'll see like the the money cat thing, mm-hmm. um, whereas you'll see little figures of Tanuki with like a thing of sake and a hat and a, yeah yeah a yeah. Token. One particular one comes to mind where it's like a figure of a Tanuki where it's all like. <laughs> You know the one I'm talking yeah. about, right? It's like really fat and it's like has a weird face. And that's the one you'll probably see too. Like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like the baseline of those it's little statues. So <laughs> funny looking. Yeah. And some other th- media appearances are uh, Pompoco, the Studio Ghibli. Ghibli? Is it Ghibli? I would say Ghibli. The Studio Ghibli movie from the early 90s. Okay. Um, where the whole story revolves around a family of tanukis trying to fight off land developers. I haven't actually seen the movie. Me I haven't neither. seen Pompoko. This is the part where I talk about. <laughs> okay. Let's. Now, okay. If you're listening with like really little kids, we're going to be talking about some stuff that is not inappropriate in Japanese children media, mm-hmm. but it would probably be considered inappropriate by Western children's media standards. So keep that in mind. Yes. So in Japanese media, tanuki are often depicted as having very large testicles. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is not because the animal itself is has a particularly <laughs> large anatomy. <laughs> just taking some artistic liberties. <laughs> so here's where it comes from. It, it's pretty funny, actually. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, the whole transformation thing. Yeah. But also there's a linguistic thing to where the words for scrotum and like money are close enough to where you can make this connection of money it's a bags. Pun. Yeah, it's kind of like a pun. Money bags. That yes. that's what it is. <laughs> no, it works in English too, apparently. <laughs> um, but also uh, with those transformation story, even in those old transformation stories, you'll see one of the things that they're transforming is their actual. I don't know what the best word is to use for this. I mean, less, you've already said it. I'm just gonna use scrotum. Okay, <laughs> that's not my favorite word, but okay. So they'll transform their bits. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's perfect, actually. That's <laughs> they'll, great. They'll transform their bits uh, into something else uh, to maybe play a prank on someone or even do things like turn it into a boat. Mm. Um, in this film, Pompoco, you'll actually see them do this to make parachutes. Okay. <laughs> and it should be said, this is a kid's movie. Yeah, that's true. Which, you know, it's by the standards of cartoons that you'll see that come from America, that would be considered wildly inappropriate, but that's now, just our thing. In the English translation of that movie, oh boy, they were referred to as raccoon pouches. Pouch? Oh, raccoon pouches. Yes. You know, the, ra- the pouches that <laughs> raccoons just have. Yes, but if you want to laugh, go look up the particular scenes of this movie, at least, of this, because it's really funny. I okay. Think. <laughs> And that's kind of the whole reason that, that it existed in the the tales and such because it's just funny. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, yeah, it's funny. I get it. Good um, on them. So that same statue you referenced, uh-huh. if you were to look on the bottom of that statue, there it is. Yes, and it's all based on a pun. Yeah, basically. I see why you like this animal so much. It was funny. <laughs> Some other media you'll see him in is a, a recent anime called BNA, Brand New Animal. Uh, oh, the, yeah, she was a Tanuki, yeah, wasn't she? The main yeah. character, Michiru, was a Tanuki, where she yeah. also had some transformation-type powers. Oh, yeah. Right? I guess that's what that was referencing. That's yeah. interesting. And, of course, can't talk about the Tanuki without talking about the Mario series. Mm-hmm. They um, spell it funny in the English <laughs> version. Do they? Yeah, in the English version, the Tanuki suit is spelled yeah. T-A-N-O-O-K-I. That's why I Googled it that way the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. You did. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, some of the things you'll see in there, you know, the Tanuki's able to fly and that kind of thing. And a, a lot, that power-up is often represented by a leaf. Right? Yeah, you got to get the leaf and then it turns yeah. you into the Tanuki suit. Yes. I should say that was the first time I'd ever heard of a Tanuki mm-hmm. was when I was talking to Isaac, my son, who is now seven, but at the time he was probably only four or five. Mm-hmm. And he was super into Super Mario Maker. Um, he was playing the Super Mario Maker game just like a lot, mm-hmm. which through the course of playing this game, he learned the names for like all of the different mechanics of the Mario games. And at one point he was talking to me and he said something about a Tanuki suit. And I had no idea what he was talking about because I'd only ever seen Mario's Tanuki suit and I thought it was a squirrel or a raccoon or something, right? So I didn't really know what it was. Um, But Isaac told me it was a Tanuki suit and I didn't know what that meant. So I Googled it and then that led me to like, why is it called a Tanuki suit? What does Tanuki mean? And then that Mm-hmm. led me to finding out what this animal was. And yeah. I, I had never heard of it before that. And that was just like a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, they're not often referenced in American media. Yeah. Charming little little animal, though. Yeah, and that's that's the Tanuki. Thank you so much. I hope that we've 
introduced people to a new animal that they didn't know about today. I mean, if you've played Animal Crossing, then you've probably come across both of these animals. I mean, if you've played Animal Crossing, you've definitely come across a Tanuki because it's right there on the cover of yep. the box. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I hope that you think of us when you're playing Animal yeah. Crossing. And keep an eye out if you know you watch anime. It's a good chance you'll see it there too. <laughs> if it looks like a raccoon, it's probably a Tanuki. Like even, the, even like the Naruto series has one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you literally came into recording this from watching Naruto. I was watching Boruto. <laughs> I don't know if you want to admit that on air. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be so forthcoming about your anime habits if I were you. <laughs> Thank you so much, darling. Anytime. Let's do like the fastest wrap up we've ever done because we've been talking for a thousand years. Thank you so much to everybody who's listened today. I would like to also say thank you to everybody who came through when I asked gently for people to leave kind ratings and reviews for our podcast. Mm -hmm. You showed up, you pulled through, you left some incredible reviews. I do appreciate it. I have read every single one and it does heal my soul. So <laughs> An excellent mood booster. It is so good. It really keeps us going. So thank you so much for doing that. I would like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network, along with their other fantastic shows that you heard promos for earlier. And I'd also like to thank Louis Zong for our wonderful theme music that you're about to hear fading in right now. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.